Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for um, the words uh, you give us in the Bible. Thank you for uh, the way you love to teach us and you open our hearts. And we pray this morning that you would hear, we would hear that you're the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit speaking into our hearts and our minds this morning. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you so much to Alice for reading for us so beautifully this morning. And we've just finished our little mini-series on Nehemiah, and I would really encourage you to go back and watch um, any of the talks that you have missed. Uh, they've been really challenging and inspiring. And last week, uh, Matt prepared us really well for um, this new series um, in the parables. He talked about clearing away rubble in our lives as we prepare for this new season at All Souls. And last week, we also um, really sadly said goodbye to our wonderful children's team leader, Lizzie. And she texted afterwards to find out if math meant that she was the trouble in the rubble that needed clearing away um, adults out of all souls. Uh, Lizzie, we can honestly say to you that no, that's not what math meant. Um, losing you was not part of clearing away the rubble. Uh, we're going to miss you dreadfully. What math was encouraging us to think about uh, was about clearing away the rubble in our own hearts, including any nostalgia that we might feel about the past or feeling too comfortable in our own spiritual lives. We need to be praying in the new things and new ways. We need to be listening to new stories. We need to be listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And over the next few weeks, uh, we're gonna be focusing exactly on that, on the power of imagination the power of storytelling as we think about the parables of Jesus. Now, I've been thinking quite a lot about uh, imagination recently. Um, it's actually come up in one of my first essays for college. For centuries, we've been very focused on fact. And of course, fact is really important. We need to know um, in the Christian faith that, that something like the cross and the resurrection actually happened. But imagination has sometimes been neglected. And an act of the imagination is faith, because faith requires us to envision and inhabit a world that we cannot perceive with our senses. Now, during one of the very first sermons that our first curate, Charles, preached, probably about 12 years ago, he told a story. Uh, it was all about bananas um, and how he hates them. Um, he finds them really pungent. So he wouldn't have liked being here earlier on when John was having a banana before the service. Um, but Charles related uh, that story to a passage in 1 Corinthians when the Apostle Paul said how the message of the gospel is like a dreadful smell of death and doom to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is a life-giving perfume. It was a really strange story, but I've remembered it all these years later. You see, stories catch our imagination. They capture us, even if they're random ones about curates and bananas. But we remember them. They stick in our minds. They even seep into us. Jesus knew that our imaginations are really important. And so he told many stories. He was a wonderful storyteller and used very simple illustrations from everyday life, which would have resonated with people but not just resonated with them, 
The power of Jesus as storyteller was that he challenged because he always included a twist on what was expected and he made his hearers sit up and think. And for us today, it's a bit more difficult when we read the parables because not many of us are farmers or shepherds or vineyard owners. So we have to find out why Jesus' words were so countercultural and subversive. So, for example, this morning, we want to think, we're going to think really briefly about the parable of the 99 sheep. And you'll see from our reading that Jesus told this story in response to being criticized and attacked by the religious leaders because he was attending dinner parties and celebrations with, as the people saw it, the wrong people. If you can, just try and imagine what it would have been like to be a shepherd in Jesus' day. Being a shepherd was a pretty dangerous job. When King David remembered what it was like to start life as a shepherd, he wrote in the Psalms all about having to ward off lions and bears. Being a shepherd was not easy. They might be alone, caring for sheep in a dangerous environment, maybe having to sleep across the sheep pen uh, to protect the sheep while they slept. But they may also work together to look after each other's flocks, sharing tasks and helping each other out. In this story, the shepherd leaves the whole flock and we are told often that he acted foolishly here. The sh but the sheep could have been under the care of another shepherd. And personally, although I might be wrong, I don't think the point of the story is to say that the shepherd who is meant to represent God, didn't care for the 99 sheep that he'd left. And because we know that shepherds had to be accountable for all the sheep that they were looking after and might have had to pay for any lost ones out of their own pocket, I don't think the point is that the shepherd is amazing because he left uh, the um, sheep and he set off in search of the missing one. It was risky and dangerous, but this was all part of an ordinary day's work for a shepherd. I think the twist is what Jesus picks up in his last sentence of the story. Jesus said, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. If you were a shepherd and you found a lost sheep, this would be a normal day's work for you, not anything out of the ordinary. Sheep get lost all over the place, don't they? If you go off into the countryside, you often see a lost sheep. They might be stuck in ditches, falling into streams, or just wandering off. But this is the sentence which I think Jesus wanted his hearers to take note of. Once the shepherd had found the sheep and returned home, he said, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. It's not surprising that the shepherd was happy about finding the sheep, but why on earth would you throw a party for finding it? Why would you invite all your friends and neighbors over to eat and drink and rejoice over something that was frankly just a normal day's work and really just a sheep? His friends must have thought him mad. He must have been finding lost sheep all the time. And if you're throwing a party, it usually means that you have to fork out for the food and drink unless it's a bring your own, of course. Why bother over one found sheep? It's not that this one sheep is any more special than the 99 left in the pen. The difference 
with a lost sheep is exactly that. It was lost and needed to be found. God cares about all of us equally, and there is a celebration waiting to happen when we are found. That's what Jesus wants us to hear. It's not surprising that Jesus is often called the Good Shepherd because his heart is for us to be found, rescued and renewed. In John chapter 10, we read that Jesus seeks to bring us into abundant life and he does it by being a good shepherd and laying down his life for his sheep. In a beautiful book, which I think I've quoted from before, called The God of Surprises, the author, the author talks about how this story of the shepherd helps us to understand that God is one of overflowing goodness, one whose desire is to share with whatever he has with as many as possible. He is the God who rejoices when the lost are found, when the hurting are healed and the wandering find their homes. He says that this little parable reminds us that it is the nature of God to be for us. This little story is a reminder that God loves you, loves me, loves each individual, and he is for us. The value that God places on our individual lives is immense. It is worth celebrating, worth rejoicing in, not just here on earth, but in the whole of heaven. And it's a challenge for us to act in the same way. If our hearts are to beat like God's heart, we are to be for the world and for those who, have lo who are lost. I think the point of the passage is clear. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent or who do not think they need to repent. All of heaven is having a party when each of us are found, when friendship is established with each of God's children. And if we don't join in with this party, then we are out of tune with God's reality. What Jesus was doing on earth corresponded exactly with what, with what was happening in the heavenly realms, with God's love in the heavenly realms. If we understand how things are in heaven, then we will understand how things are meant to be here on earth. You see, Jesus was partying with the wrong people on earth because heaven has a party when God's children are found. And that party in heaven is worth imagining. And I want us to think for a moment about the place of godly imagination. We need to develop godly imagination, which is shaped by the truth that God as loving creator is for us. And as we look at the parables over the next few weeks, remember that Jesus is challenging us to imagine the kingdom of God, to really imagine what God's kingdom on earth should look like, and then to put it into practice. Jesus paints a picture of how the world can and will be, and this gives us hope which is what our world so desperately needs. Perhaps arousing our, imagin our imagination was one of Jesus' main targets. If reason changes our mind, imagination changes our hearts. It helps us to feel the truth and not just know it.
With parables like this about the kingdom of God, Jesus helps us peek behind the veil and see the truth behind our own experiences. Touching the imagination can inspire us with a vision of God's reality that will compel us to act. For example, a statement like, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, takes considerable imagination, but it should also bring immeasurable inspiration. God the Holy Spirit is the source of imagination. And I want to challenge you to work with the Holy Spirit to develop your imagination. Look at the world around you. Look at your community. Look at your life at work. How can the Holy Spirit help you to imagine the kingdom of God coming in these areas? Read the news, talk with your neighbors, look at the world of art, spend time in nature, read books that stir your imagination, and most of all, read the Bible. For example, the early American theologian, Jonathan Edwards, believed that God had built clues into nature about the deep themes in the Bible. He saw in the caterpillar and the butterfly an image of the burial and resurrection of Jesus. His Christian imagination helped him to see beyond the material world to the significance that lay beneath it and behind it. And there's a type of Bible study called Lectio Divina, which, is in, which encourages us to read Bible passages and chew on them and think ourselves into the story, to imagine what people were thinking or saying or feeling, to imagine our place ourselves in the places where the stories actually happened. Were any of you ever told off as a child for having an overactive imagination? Well, if that's you, the world needs people like you. We need people who can imagine a better place, a better world, who can imagine the kingdom of God come on earth as it should be in heaven. And a few weeks ago, Hannah challenged us with the phrase, what is God stirring in your hearts? And I want to re-echo that phrase today with this. What is God stirring in your imagination? Take time to imagine, to dream. God put in my imagination. In my work, God has given me a specific dream about helping to build beautiful homes which are inclusive and accessible. But I also dream about my friends, my colleagues and neighbours coming to know the God who loves them and created them to be in friendship with him. I dream about my daughters and their friends growing in their love and passion for Jesus. I dream about us growing together as a praying church community. I dream about bringing the kingdom of God to the people around us by what we do as well as what we say. What is God stirring in your imagination? But also from the story today, where are you as a sheep at the moment? If you feel like you've fallen in the ditch on the way, or you've wandered off, or you're struggling in a fast-flowing river, Jesus is looking for you. He has not forgotten you. 
Jesus is for you and he will take all the risks in the world to find you and bring you home. All you need to do is call out to him. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful little story and this reminder that you are there to bring us home. And we pray where however we feel at the moment, wherever we're at, whether we feel we've wandered from you, whether we're struggling along alone, that you would give us the courage And Father, we thank you for the gift of stories and the gift of imagination. And we pray that you would place within us a deep desire to see your visions and your dreams. That your Holy Spirit would speak deep into our hearts and our minds what you would have us imagine the way that you would have us help bring the kingdom of God here on earth. So we pray, Lord Jesus, stir our imaginations. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.